Open with me in your Bibles to 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. It's been a few weeks since we did our, our study on the cross. Uh, basically, it's the crucified life and allowing the cross to work in the life of the believer. We know that Jesus died on the cross, but sometimes we think we forget what that is to us beyond salvation. Okay, This whole book and this whole series that we're doing is for the believer. This is for the believer. We could preach for, for years on what the cross did for the lost, lost man, and for us and how it, he died for our sins, but also what that cross means as we're in union with the Lord. Okay? Union with the Lord. And so 1 John chapter 3, I'm reading, I always study and preach from the King James, but for this passage, I'm using a, a, another translation that because a few of the words I think are more um, defined in this passage. 1 John 3, 6 through 9. Whosoever abides in him does not sin. Whosoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no, man, no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. And so like this, this epistle was written to believers. And it matters. You know, if, you, if, you're, if you hear a preacher preach or you're reading a Christian book, it's important to know is the author in that particular chapter, sentence, passage, or the, is the preacher in that particular thought is he speaking out about believers and to believers, or is he speaking to lost men? Because it, there's a difference, okay? There's a difference in a, in a sermon or a message that God, through the epistles and through the Word of God, would speak to you as opposed to a lost man. You wouldn't tell uh, a lost man, for example, abstain from all appearance of evil, pray without ceasing. He would say, okay, got it. Let me go try to do that. And then we'd fall flat on their face and they couldn't do it. You understand the point of that. You would tell a lost man, there's forgiveness, there's mercy, there's grace. Give your life to Christ. He died for, for your sins. But so much of the New Testament is written to believers. Once you are in Christ, that's just the key word, in Christ. How do we live now? What is our hope? What is our uh, empowerment by the Holy Spirit? What does God respect, uh, expect of us? What does God require of us? And so it's totally different. And this passage was written to believers. And so, in the passage is not, what we just read from 1 John 3, is not a passage written in order to bring uh, lost men to Christ. That passage was written to, to bring Christians into a communion with the Lord. An abiding fellowship. And that's really what we're after, y'all. We have it, yet we're after it. You know what I mean? The Lord, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul was saved, and yet he says, I press towards the mark. He was saved, and yet he says that I may know him. Well, he already knew it, right? Jesus said eternal life is knowing the Lord. 
And, and Paul knew the Lord, and yet he says that, oh, that I may know Him. There's always an increase. This is why we're here, and we'll come back, Lord willing, we'll be back Sunday morning for Sunday school. Because we want to know Him. There's a purpose in this. And I want to keep it before you, and I want to keep it before myself. There's a purpose. We don't just do church. We don't just enjoy a new church building. God has called us into an ever-increasing faith. An ever uh, deeper, constant abiding with the Lord. More so. And you know it because you have that longing in your heart. You're excited about what God's done, and yet there's a longing for more. That's a very good place to be. I'm excited about my knowledge of the Word, but I want to know more. I'm excited about how I trust God. He's helped me to trust Him. He's helped me overcome many fears and worries. But I, I want to owe for grace to trust Him more, like we sing. You understand the point. So just keep that in mind every time we meet. Keep that in mind in this, in this study that we're doing on the cross. And so, there are conditions of this fellowship with the Lord that are practical. This communion, this abiding, and they center around believing and they center around behavior. Believing and behavior, if you want our conduct, our lifestyle set apart unto God. Trusting the Lord and then how we live from day to day. When people are watching and when nobody's watching. Okay, when people are watching, when nobody's watching. So I want you, since you're, we're already uh, in First John, uh, to look at. We, you could probably quote the scripture, but look at First John, chapter two. We're going to read another verse from First John. First John two one. We quote this all the time. My little children. So again, he's writing to believers. Make no mistake about it. He doesn't call. The Lord and the Holy Ghost doesn't call lost men little children. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And there's a period right there. Okay, that has to do with what conduct. First of all, they're little children because they're saved. Little children in the faith. That's all. Not little children, but little um, maturing saints. I write these things unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sins, still talking to believers, we, John includes himself in that, we as believers have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so belief and behavior, the, the commandment to us from the Lord is to sin not. If we do as believers, there is forgiveness, there is mercy when we confess and turn to the Lord. But still, if you and I want to have that abiding fellowship with the Lord, that communion with the Lord, the, the commandment is to sin not. And we're going, to, we're going to kind of build on this tonight. And some people have taken that passage that we read from 1 John 3. If, you know, if any man sins, you know, basically he's saying that he's not born of God and, and, and so forth. We're going to break that down and describe it, uh, explain it according to, to studies that I've done in the words that, that are here, there are two thoughts and, and both can be extremes that are wrong. Have you heard the doctrine, I'm sure you have, of sinless perfection? Has anybody heard that before? There, uh, there are authors, there are Christians, there are true Christians that espouse that and pastors that 
preach that. I don't know that there's a whole lot, but I've heard it before. And basically, they would use a scripture like 1 John 3, 6-9 through to say, well, see, it's right there. I'm, I, I'm a Christian, so therefore I don't sin. And, and you know good and well you've sinned since you've been a Christian. So, what's up? You know, how do we, how do we make these th- two things line up? Do I need to get born again every single day or 20 times a day? Because that's probably how many times we might sin. I'm just picking a number. Of course not. And so, sinless perfection is basically if you're saved, you are, you are in behavior, behavior and practice, sinless. And it, doesn't, it wouldn't take five minutes for me to know as a Christian that I, I missed the boat somewhere along the way if that's the truth. And it wouldn't take long from the Bible to pick that apart and from the witness of the Holy Ghost in you. The, the, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. So we know that we're saved. And we're, we're known by our fruit as well. Prayerfully, we're bearing fruit. So that is important. But there wouldn't be a scripture like little children, we have an advocate, sin not, but if we sin. There wouldn't be a scripture like that if the moment we were saved, we were sinless for the rest of the remainder of our life on earth. We know it's not true. The Bible says when we see him in this epistle, we'll be like him, for we'll see him as he is. So there is still much change to be done. Okay, so that's one extreme that is not biblically sound. Okay, I'm not going to ridicule people who believe it. I'm saying that's not a correct belief. And I think we could easily tell that that's not a biblical doctrine. Then there's people that say, okay, well, if you don't, maybe the people that espouse to this belief, they say, well, if you don't believe that, then you're going to be loose and free and carefree and sinless and you're going to abuse grace and you're going to turn grace into a license to sin because they're saying we're holy and perfected over here and over here you're just uh, living like you're not even saved and saying I'm saved. Well, that's not... We quoted the scripture. Paul says in Romans, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How are we that are what? Dead to sin we that are dead to sin to continue any longer therein. So both of these are, are not only out of balance, they're just dead wrong. Okay? They're dead wrong. I always say, and I've always held to the belief that you, you just have to be biblical. It's not Calvinist or Armenianist. You know what I'm saying? And you've heard the debates, right? Calvinist or Armenianist. It's biblical. What does the Bible say? And I don't believe from the Bible you would be a Calvinist. And I don't believe you would be an Arminianist. Totally. And so we have to just have the Bible. I don't need some man to tell me. The Holy Spirit will teach us. But I need to be a diligent student of the Word and in prayer. There are a lot of people that are a lot smarter and a lot stronger Christians than me. And... I can't just be arrogant about it, I guess is what I'm saying. We need to be led by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. So, the teaching here, y'all, from 1 John 3, and how it, how it ties in with the cross, again, the, the, the thought is, 
of abiding in fellowship. So if you're still in 1 John, look at chapter 1. And look how it starts off, the whole epistle. John was one of the last authors. He was the last author. You know, he wrote the Gospel of John was many, written many years after the other three Gospels. The book of Revelation, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John was written much later. And he says right here that that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the father was manifest unto us. And he said, all right, verse three, that with that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that ye also may have what salvation. Now he's writing to believers that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ, verse seven. But if we walk in the light, that has to do with behavior, conduct, okay? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have what, salvation? No, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now it starts to make more sense. Why such stern or strict admonitions not to sin? They are strict, they are stern. But they're written that that our life would be befitting of Christ, that our fellowship and communion with him would be unbroken, that it would be intimate, that our life would represent a holy God before each other and before a lost world, that the Lord would be glorified through our lives. When we sin at that moment, we are not in fellowship with God. That's not reaching out in some statement that I just invented. When I sin, sin separates us from God. Isaiah says your sins have separated between you and your God. As there's no physical distance at all, but there is a, a, an impassable gulf of distance between a holy God and sin. He is the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Always was, in eternity past, as He came to this earth and lived, sinless life, God rose again, no sin, and in him was no sin, okay? And, and when I sin, even as a Christian, there is a separation. Do I stop being saved? No, I do not. I'm in Christ. But in my conduct, in my behavior, there is definitely a, a severing of that fellowship. Praise God, it can be very quickly overcome. And the more we grow in Christ, the more we discern it, we recognize it, I've used the example before, prayerlessness is sin. So in my home growing up, uh, I mean in our family growing up, when we would pray with our children, even as they got older, uh, if we noticed, like we might get too busy with school and sports and even church and everything, so busy, and, and we start getting cranky, and we start getting worried, and we start shouting, and we start hollering, and we're not getting along, and we're cross with each other. And we'd say, time out, what's going on? One of the things that's going on, we haven't been praying together. We haven't stolen that five minutes here and that ten minutes here, because I know we don't have an hour and a half to sit down probably and pray together as a family. But you have ten minutes here and there where you can do it, and you better do it, you know, and I had better do it. It makes a difference. The fellowship with the Lord 
is, is broken. And, and the more we grow in Christ, the more we recognize that. The quicker we are to recognize that. You know what? You don't have to walk off in sin and stay there for a week. You can sin. And, well, we should not sin. We sin not, little children. I mean, that's for me too. But we can sin and it instantly... You know, we laughed at something we shouldn't have laughed at. There's some co-workers at church. We can instantly ask God to forgive us. Instantly. And be forgiven. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And be restored. So the, the more we grow in the Lord, the more we stay in fellowship with the Lord, the more we're going to recognize when we're out of fellowship with the Lord. And we'll also, he always warns us before we cross that line in sin. So we don't have to do it in the first place. But thank God there is a provision if we do. The whole picture here though, y'all, for tonight's study has to do with fellowship. Has to do with an unbroken communion with the Lord. Okay? And so, remember this, that Jesus saved us from our sin. But He did not save us uh, did not leave us in our sin. Amen. He saved us from it, and He saved us from it, okay? Unto righteousness, unto holiness. He forgave me of my sin, but He never excuses sin. doesn't excuse it in lost man, and He doesn't excuse it in me. There was a price paid for that. That's the blood of Jesus Christ in His life. And so, the thought here, and I want to go back, turn with me back to 1 John 3, 6-9. through 9. So what is the thought when he says, Whosoever abides in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Well, I've sinned since I've been saved, but I, I do know the Lord. You've sinned since you've been saved, and you do know the Lord. So what? obviously that's not the meaning. So you look a little deeper, and you look at the, uh, the definitions of some of these words, and the tense that it's set in, has to do with an ongoing practice of sin. Now that is true. Whoever continues in an ongoing lifestyle practice of sin doesn't know the Lord. Amen. And we have to let that sink in for a second. You practice it. You practice sin. You're continuing in sin. Your lifestyle is characterized by sinful behavior. You're not born again. You don't know the Lord. I wouldn't know the Lord if that was me. Whosoever abides in Him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen Him, neither known Him. It has to do with a practice of sin. An ongoing, that's the tense of the verb there. Okay? Present tense. Little children, let no man deceive you. Now who would want to deceive us who would want to deceive somebody into thinking they're saved when they're not saved? Who would that sound like? That's our enemy, right? The devil. The devil wants to come to maybe a churchgoer and say, you're fine. You're fine. You're okay. You're not perfect, but nobody is. Pastor so-and-so is not perfect either. Uh, you're fine. The devil wants to deceive a lost person who might be, quote, a good person person, I'm putting quotes there because there's none good, and a churchgoer into thinking that they're okay. And they're not okay. They haven't seen the Lord. They don't know the Lord. Okay? 
It has to do with a practice, a perpetual, ongoing, unbroken, pattern, lifestyle of sin. doesn't say if you sin often. doesn't say that if you've been saved and you have in your past, since you've been saved, sinned often, that you're not saved. It says, he that sinneth. We, we, it's a pattern. It's a lifestyle. Let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin, again, committeth, has to do with the practice, is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might declare, I mean, destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit, continually commit as a pattern, okay? Sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. I want you to turn for a good example of this. Now, this is an Old Testament example, but it's an example of, of how you cannot sin, so to speak, when you're, when you're saved. Look at Genesis 39. Now, we all know the story of Joseph. There are more chapters written, I think, about Joseph in the Old Testament I mean, in the book of Genesis, than any other Bible character, more than even Abraham. Genesis 39, verse 9. What's taking place here? Joseph has been sold as a slave. We know the passage. He's in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife uh, is desiring to have this uh, adulterous relationship with him. Joseph's a single man. He's in the house uh, by himself, and she's there. And she, she... makes this proposition to him and he says there is none greater Genesis 39.9 there is none greater in this house than I neither hath he as Potiphar kept back anything from me but thee because thou art his wife how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God I think this is the picture here could he have sinned yes he could have sinned He could have sinned. In other words, it's possible for him to sin. So what does he mean when he says, how can I sin? He means just what you think he means. How can I do this against my God? So bring that all the way fast forward to the New Testament where we're born again. We're born of the Spirit of God. The Holy Ghost lives inside of us. Is it possible for a believer to sin? Yes. The Bible tells us that. We just read it. My little children sin not. But if we do, we have an advocate. So it's possible for Christians to sin. You've sinned since you've been saved. I've been sinned since, since, since I've been saved. But when we, he says he cannot sin in 1 John 3, I believe this is more the attitude. How can I do this against the Lord? And what did Joseph do in that moment? He reckoned it by faith. He didn't see God physically with him, but by faith, he knew God was with him. He knew that God is holy. He knows he knew what God required. He knew how his conduct and behavior should be. And by faith, he left, hightailed it out of there and fled. He didn't reason it out. He didn't think it over. He fled. And the only thing that made his choice for him, the only thing to help him in that moment make the right choice was God. The reality of God in my life right now. A lost person doesn't have that. 
You and I do. A lost person does not have that. They can say, a lost person might say, my mama would be disappointed if I did this. My daddy would be disappointed. My pastor might be disappointed if I did this. Maybe I'd get arrested if I did this. There's a lot of things. And maybe I'll even have my own moral code that I live by. And I would let myself down. And yet, they don't have the Holy Ghost in them bearing witness, saying, my little children sin not. How can you do this against the Lord? That communion is going to be broken. It will bring shame to the Lord Jesus Christ. It will bring a separation from me and my God. And He died to set me free from this. And we could build on it and other reasons. But at that moment, so you see the point. I believe this is the point in the teaching. It has to do with the practice and a pattern of sin. We're born of God. I can't do it. Okay? I can't do it. And we would say, I'm born again. I'm born again. I can't do this. And don't sit and think about it for too long or you will do it. When God shows you, that's why He says flee temptation. He doesn't say slowly turn around like you're backing up from a poisonous snake where you might have to, to move real slowly not to excite the thing to bite you, right? He says when you see a tempt, when you're in a temp, tempted situation, flee it. That's wisdom. That's the Word of God. It says it more than once in the New Testament. And we see Joseph doing it. And guess what? He didn't commit adultery. He kept his testimony for Christ. He kept his, kept his fellowship with the Lord. He was spared of that. Praise God for that. And so y'all, you know what? That, that's like... Uh, we as Christians are continually coming to, I guess, like little forks. Maybe little forks in the road. Just in our daily routines. Students that are going to school. Okay? Uh, adults and whatever, whatever we are in life. They're little moments of decision that are really not that little. Every one of them will have significance. Every one of them will have an, some type of spiritual and moral and eternal consequence for your soul, for the well-being of your soul, for your testimony, for, and there's fallout from sin. There's choices that we have to make continually. And, and to, to try to tie this into the cross, specifically in the cross and life of a believer, every time there's a, conf, a, a choice, just a little choice, you know, watch this TV show. It's not the worst thing in the world, but I know it's not, I know it's, it's got simple things that I'm not to set before my eyes. I know that. Watch it or don't watch it. And the choice is right there. That's a little opportunity, y'all, to die. Die to ourselves, isn't it? It really is. We're going to be tempted and tested and tried all through life. Don't think it's strange. That's the nature of this world. There's a God of this world. He wants to trip you up. He wants to wreck your testimony. By wrecking your, your testimony, he might wreck your marriage. He might wreck your home. He might wreck this church over one big sin in this church. You understand what I'm saying? He, and it will definitely wreck our fellowship with the Lord. And so every one of those little choices, sin or don't sin, in the flesh or in the spirit, that's really what it's down to. 
If we walk in the flesh, we cannot and will not. If we walk in the spirit, I'm sorry, we will not and cannot fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's not a blending. There's not a gray area. If at any given moment and at every given moment, I am walking in the spirit, then I'm walking with communion with God and he's not a sinner. You understand that? He's sinless and spotless. He had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. And in him is no sin, the Bible says. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And I'm in him. So if I'm walking in the spirit and at any and every given moment in Christ, I'm not going to sin. He cannot sin. This, I believe, is the teaching. I cannot sin if I'm walking in communion with Christ. Not only will I, won't I sin, I cannot sin if at that moment I'm walking in Christ. I have to walk away from Christ to commit a sin. And I, I'm ashamed to say it, but I would be lying if I, if I said anything else. I walk away from Christ and I sin. I worry. I get impatient. I get angry. I get depressed. I say things I shouldn't say. I think things I shouldn't think. I, I do all kinds of things like that. And the point is, when I do those things, I'm not in Christ at that moment. But I don't, that is not the pattern of my life. That is not the practice of my life. And I want it to become less and less part of my life. It doesn't have to be any part of our lives. Because the power of sin has been broken. That is true. Okay? So you understand what we're saying here. If at that moment, little, little chance to die, a little chance to die to myself. Well, I want this. Joseph flesh, Joseph's flesh might have wanted that. Okay? Uh, Esau wanted the, the pottage of food more than his birthright. The birthright represented something spiritual of God that should have been of eternal, utmost value to Esau. And he sold it out because he was hungry at that moment. And a lot of times Christians, if we don't watch it, we can do that. We sell out what's internal and important and of the utmost value for, for a moment. Moses made the right choice, right? About forsaking Egypt and not, not desiring its treasures and sins for a season. And so every one of those opportunities is a chance to say, Lord, by faith, it is by faith. It's not by getting my will all mustered up and, and you know, I'm strong enough. It is by faith if he says flee, flee. It is by faith if he says say no to that, we say no to that. By faith, I reckon it as being so. I believe that I'm crucified with Christ. Okay? He that he, and he died to sin once, right? And he sins, he's sinless, and if I'm in Christ, I won't be. Y'all, every time uh, there will there will be Choice after choice, little fork in the road after little fork in the road, all through your life. All through your life, that will be there. Those will be there. And they'll be in my life until we get to heaven. And there are opportunities, as I said, to die. And I can tell you this, if we're going to grow in the Lord, then we're going to have to, if we have not been, we're going to have to start facing up to those things. 
In other words, if I've been given in to my temper for the last 25 years of my saved life, and I'm still just like I was before, I need to pray and fast and seek the Lord. Something's got to change. Something's got to change. The Lord wants us to take some new ground. He wants us to put up a banner here. Bam, God delivered me from this. I got plenty of other problems, but God brought me through this, and it is in my rearview mirror now. And it is under the blood now. It's a real victory that I have. He wants us to do that. He wants us to take that new ground and walk in it. That is a chance to die. It is a chance for the Lord to work in our lives what He desires to work in our lives. And guess what? I believe almost the moment that we, we do, we say no to this sinful thing, nobody's around, nobody would see us, we wouldn't get caught. God sees us and we say no. God gives us an increased spiritual light to walk in. I believe that. We say no, and it's like a little bit of darkness was, uh, you know, in him was light, and in him was no darkness at all. Speaking of Christ, that's a little bit more darkness that's put out of our lives. There's more to go, but there'll be more light that God would shed on our path and on our way from day to day in Christ. He'll show us new things about himself. He'll, he'll reveal things to us. And so... When the Israelites, uh, when the Israelites went into the, the land of Canaan, and when they were instructed before they went in, they were they were told to go in, and God had already says, "This is your inheritance." He told them that when they were in Egypt. He even told them told it to Abraham four hundred forty years before that. Your descendants will be uh, slaves and in bondage, and after 400 years, I'll bring them and bring them back to this land. It was their inheritance, but they had to possess it. We might, we might close with this thought tonight that just because this sinlessness is our inheritance in Christ, we have to possess it. We have to walk it out. That's God's way. It's His design. We're not just sinless perfection the moment that we get saved. We are delivered from the power of sin and we have to die daily. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. That's dying, right? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. That's dying. And follow me. That's dying because I'm not going just where I want to go. I'm going where he says to go. It is an ongoing process. It is his plan. It is God's way. And He has given us all sufficiency for the way, for the journey. When you think it's too much and you can't make it, you can make it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When your heart's been broken and you think you, think you can't make it, you can make it. God will help you to make it. You know what the, the Bible says, speaking about the, the Israelites going into Canaan. They, had, they were given the land. The land is before you. And I, Almighty God, Jehovah, your God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, have given you this land. See where all those pagans are? All the Canaanites and all their false gods and all their cities? I've given it to you. It's yours. But then what did he tell them? They had to go possess it. 
They're not contrary. The victory was already assured by the Lord. None of your enemies, if you keep my commandments, God said, none of your enemies will be able to stand before you. I've put the fear and the dread of you upon them. You found that out in Jericho, right? With Rahab. All the men in the city are scared to death. We heard what you people did and what God did for you to those two kings of the Amorites out there on that side of the Jordan. And the people here are scared to death. Imagine how much more the, the neighboring cities were scared when the walls of Jericho fell flat. But they still had to possess it. The Lord told Joshua, everywhere what the sole of your foot treads, I've given you. Could he sit in a lazy boy by the river with a fishing pole? Well, I'd like to do that. By the Jordan River, just fishing, drinking some iced tea, and say, all this is mine. No, I've given it to you. Everywhere where your foot treads, I've given it to you. He better get up and do some treading, right? He better get up and start possessing. The victory's already assured. That is a very, very good comparison to the Christian life and to the Christian walk. Well, I thought, you know, he, he delivered me from the power of sin. Why am I so tempted with this? And why do I still struggle with this and still fall into this sin? Uh, whatever it may be, because he wants us to walk it out. He wants us to pray, give me this day my daily bread. He doesn't just fill me up a barn. Say, this is going to last you till you die. This food. This spiritual food. This natural food. This faith that I'm giving you today. Your understanding of the Word of God today. Your prayer life. Just pray today and that will get you through the next 75 years. It is a daily walk. The whole thing is about what John is talking about in First John. Our fellowship is with God and with you. If we walk, that's a pattern. That's a practice. If we walk in the light daily, continually, all the time in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I'm about to close, but I just thought that it's very. Um, don't be frustrated. Don't think that God's played some cruel trick. The journey is is the blessing. The journey is is our communion with God. The journey is where we see greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And it's not just a doctrine. And it's not just 1 John 4, 4. It is the reality. Because I'm just a little kid and I went to school today and was tempted and God gave me the strength to overcome a temptation today. And I came home rejoicing and told my mom and dad how the Lord helped me overcome a temptation today. You know what? Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. There was a hundred kids wanting me to do this sin over here and I'm just one little puny nothing. But God's in me and he gave me strength to overcome it. The journey and the walk is where our communion with the Lord is. Be still and know that I'm God. You know, take my yoke and learn of me. We're yoked together with Christ. Well, that means we're going somewhere. We're going to do some work. We're going somewhere. We're yoked together. But I'm with Him. And I'll be with Him until the day I die. And then I'll be forever with Him. And I won't be in this sinful body or this sinful world anymore. And all the temptations, then there'll be a rest. There is a rest that remains for the, for the people of God. But until the rest, there's a rest in Christ. And a strength and a power in Christ. 
Don't be frustrated and think that this is a cruel way for God to do it. That is, and I'll just close with this thought. Joshua, when he had, he had, to, he had to tread that land out, okay? And God gave him specific boundaries, right? You can read it in Joshua. From the, the Great Sea here to the Jordan River, from these plains here. I don't know all the boundaries, but he, he mapped out a specific physical boundary. Now, if you go to tread somewhere over there in Egypt, I didn't give that to you. I brought you out of that. Every place that this, where I've mapped out for you, you walk in this land. So picture that land as being Christ, just for our purposes. Everything that I've told you in my word is yours in Christ, is yours in Christ. We say, well, Lord, I, you say it's mine, but I don't really have this peace that passes understanding. Well, it's yours in Christ. I want you to walk in it. I want you to walk in it. I want you to take one day at a time. I want you to take one hour at a time if you have to. And I want you to find that He is our peace. He wants us to tread in it. Tread, like really walk in it. Don't just claim it, put it on the refrigerator and say, that's mine until I go to heaven. He, if it's mine, He wants to me to experience it. To walk in it. Joshua had to put his heel on the, on the neck of his enemies, so to speak. I know it sounds kind of crude, but he had to go and take a king and a kingdom that was pagans that God says, I've given you that place. Go take it. He had to go take it. He had to go take it into Jesus' name. God gave them the victory. He had to take his heel and put it on the neck of that foe. It's not a buddy. It's not a new best friend. It's an enemy. So picture it. You have enemies in your life. You have uh, the devil is our adversary. Whatever it may be, we have to put our heel right there and stand and say, this is under my foot in Jesus' name. I'm not going to keep letting this thing get the upper hand over me. This sin, this temptation. I will not in Jesus' name. I cannot sin as long as I'm in Him. At that moment, walking in Him. I cannot sin. He's not a sinner. And I'm walking in His Spirit. You see? We have to take that ground. And we're going to pick up there next week. We've got to take our heel and put it on the, in a, like a victory. Not over friendly people, over those things that are our enemies. Those particular sins, fear, impatience, worry, lust. Put your heel on it in Jesus' name and, and stand there upon it. Wherever the soles of your foot tread, I have given you. You don't make up your own ticket. He writes the ticket and tells us the boundaries. We walk in that, but everything in that boundary is yours. And Christ can give it to you. And He has given it to us. And He's wanting, wanting us to walk in it. Amen? More and more. I'm going to close with that. Uh, so Chris is coming up. we got some beautiful new altars and kneeling benches. And they're kind of spread out. Let's take just a moment uh, to pray. And, and we're going to... I didn't get halfway through the lesson tonight. But we're going to pick up there next week. And continue. I think this is very, very good for us, very good for, for Christians to hear this and, and take some time just to, to talk to the Lord and let Him speak to your heart. Whatever He's spoken to your heart, this to me is what the altar's for. It's where we, I don't want to be a forgetful hearer, God. I want to take what I heard tonight 
I want it to be part of my life. I want the truth and the Word of God by the Holy Ghost to be applied to my life. I want to walk in the truth of the Word of God that I heard tonight. And I don't want to look back. I don't want, I don't want to regress and go backwards. I want to walk forward. Lord, we lay hold on the Word of God tonight. We lay hold on the truth of the Word of God tonight from, from this simple lesson, God. You're a Savior to the uttermost. You not only saved us at some point in the past, you preserve us and keep us from falling day to day. God, help us to realize the authority that we have as believers. We have authority over the devil. We have authority over sin and temptation and our own flesh. God, the cross you've given us to, to be dead to ourselves and alive unto God. To walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Would you help us tonight? Would you help us to take new ground and really gain some spiritual ground over the, the things in our life that, that have held us back, God? We ask you to forgive us of our sins. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate. There's somebody on our side. We have a legal advocate on our side. Christ, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your blood that still cleanses. Thank you for your mercy to sinners. Thank you for your mercy to saints that are born again. Thank you that we don't have to live in fear wondering if we're saved or not. And Lord, if anybody here is not saved, I pray they would know they're not saved. And everyone that is born again, let us walk in that witness of the Holy Ghost that we are children of God. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for this, this truth that you've spoken to us tonight. God, we lay hold on it by faith. We're telling you we do. We lay hold on it by faith tonight. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord.